When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In today's programme, we have the spills and thrills of the BMX World Champs at Auckland's Victor Arena. The Chiefs and the Crusaders battle it out for a place in the Super Rugby Final, and Mahi Drysdale's back on the water and straight off to the World Rowing Champs. More than 2,000 riders from 33 countries are competing at the BMX World Champs in downtown Auckland this weekend at a specially built indoor track at Victor Arena. It's the first time New Zealand has ever hosted a major BMX race and everyone from juniors to the Olympic elite riders will be taking part. Richard Wayne reports. From five-year-olds up to 70-somethings through to the elite London Olympic stars, the inaugural New Zealand UCI BMX World Championships have something for everyone, including spectacular crashes something London silver medalist Sarah Walker's keen to avoid. So we're going like 55, 60 k's an hour at the bottom of the hill. When you go to 50 metres straight, that happens pretty quickly. So eight people going into that first corner all together might be interesting. That's the part I'll probably be a bit cautious of, because as much as I want to perform this weekend, I also want to stay on my bike. <laughs> The New Zealand number one and 2009 world champion is coming back from a broken arm suffered just five weeks ago in the United States. The Cambridge native had only just got back on her bike following shoulder surgery. Walker's not 100% fit, and while the 25-year-old's looking forward to racing in front of her home fans, she isn't optimistic about her chances. But national coach Ryan Hollows is more than happy with the team's prospects following a six-week build-up racing in America. Kurt Pickard with a couple of really good breakthrough results with a win and a couple of podiums. Trent Jones and Matt Cameron making finals. So that's a really big step up for those younger guys. You know, very happy with how they were going and it's been the perfect build up for them. Tauranga rider Kurt Pickard is in great form and he's hoping for more glory in Auckland. He doubts there'll be any more pressure with the home advantage. We've never had a World Champs or a World Cup in New Zealand. Closest has been Australia so having everyone there is going to be, I think it's going to help a lot. Just relax a bit more knowing that everyone's in the crowd supporting you and uh, yeah, take some pressure off. Building the specially designed indoor track at Victor Arena posed some extra challenges. The limited space meant event operations manager Tony Takurua had to come up with a unique two-in-one hydraulic design to provide the different start heights the competition requires. Yeah, we designed a hydraulic system that can lower it to five metres and then come elite day we can hydraulic it up and do a couple of changes and we're sitting at the eight metre Olympic level. The elite men's world champion Sam Willoughby from Australia thinks the smaller indoor arena will work well. I would much rather be in a tight arena that's going to be jam-packed with people and loud and people screaming in a good atmosphere than be out in the mud. I think it's going to be great and I'm really excited to get in there and try to defend my world title. Not so fond of the track is local elite hope Mark Willis, who controversially slated it on Twitter this week. The former US national champion said he was embarrassed to be a New Zealander and implied the circuit wasn't very challenging. Double Olympic men's champion Maris Strombergs from Latvia isn't willing to complain about the track. I always believed that 
when you say bad things about the track before the race, karma going to come and hunt you. One thing that's never changed from BMX's beginnings in the early 1970s is the importance of getting a fast start and the inside line into the first corner. I think the smaller tracks are an advantage for the guys who has that first straight. The track is tight, it's small, it's short, so it'll be hard to pass on the track, so it's it's all about the first straight and the, the gate. It's going to be so important to get to the line and have a quick lap and try to be in lane one all day. The whole shot inside lane? That's it. Off the track, the general manager of Auckland Events Agency AT, Rachel Carroll, says hosting the World Championships should prove more than worthwhile financially. We've put some funding into delivering this event, around about $300,000 of ratepayer investment, but the return is, is enormous. And we're expecting upwards of $4 million of return to come back into the economy as a result of the event. Richard Wayne with that report. For the Olympic silver medalist Sarah Walker, the attraction of competing at the World Champs in her home country was too much to miss. Walker concedes she's not at her best heading into the competition, with the New Zealand rider having broken her arm racing in the United States five weeks ago. Walker's still wearing a protective brace and says she'll be wary of getting caught up in crashes on the tight indoor circuit. I'm feeling a lot more confident than I did even a couple of days ago, um, every day, because one day is such a huge amount of time in the, in the big th- scheme of things for me. It's only been four and a half weeks since I originally broke it, so two days is a huge amount of time. So I'm glad I've still got two more days till <laughs> we're actually racing, but it's going really well. Yesterday I had a really good track session up at North Harbour um, in the North Shore and did a few more jumps that I hadn't done yet, so I'm still improving every day. Uh, the tricky part for me is going to be out of the start. That's where I seem to have the most pain. From my point of view with my arm, yeah. the fact that it's a little bit smaller is probably a good thing. <laughs> so yeah, tight spaces in there, eh? and yeah. a very fast track by all accounts. Are you picking it to be uh, is it like the most point of uh, interest for um, people who just want to watch the crashes? Might be the second corner on the elite runs where you, you've got to jump right, extending the jump, and then you've got to carve hard left. Is that, is that, would that be your sort of estimate of the, the trickiest part? Uh, I'd say into that first corner because we have eight people and we're going off the eight metre ramp so we're going like 60, uh, yeah, 55, 60 k's an hour at the bottom of the hill and if, when you've got a 50 metre straight that happens pretty quickly so eight people going into that first corner all together might be interesting um, I'd say that's where a lot of the uh, watching finals that's where a lot of people fell off yesterday so um, that's the part I'll probably be a bit cautious of because as much as I want to perform uh, this weekend I also want to stay on my bike <laughs> so um, it'll just be managing it the best I can and everyone has to ride the same track. So is there much difference racing on an indoor track than, than an outdoor one? I think the best part about an indoor track is taking away the weather. So uh, one of the most dangerous parts of, a, of racing BMX is probably the wind because you're in the air and you're on a bike that weighs less than 10 kgs you can get blown around quite a bit. So taking out that factor makes it a lot more safer and... Um, it makes it just more about the racing than it is about uh, kind of factoring in those externals. So, and then the atmosphere of an indoor event, you cannot beat it. It's going to be crazy. So how much can you hear the crowds that are yelling at you and when you're actually on the bike racing around? When you're on the start gate, you can hear it. But then um, you kind of zone out, I guess. Unless you're having a horrible lap, then you can hear everyone. <laughs> um, but a lot of the time when I'm racing around, I can't hear a thing. That's New Zealand BMX rider Sarah Walker. Meanwhile, criticism of the tracks being dismissed by world champion Australian rider Sam Willoughby. The New Zealand rider Mark Willers has called the purpose-built track embarrassing, 
believing it's too short and the jump's too small. But Willoughby told Richard Wayne he's pleased with the track despite the space constraints. Last time I come here was 07. I won a junior race here, so I'll just say it's good. (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling uh, heading into this defending champ, um, not feeling any extra pressure? You feel pressure when you have a number one on your back because everyone wants to take it away from you. I don't feel any more pressure in respect respect that every race I go to I want to win. So for me internally it's the same amount of pressure. I mean, how much do you worry about the rest of the field and how much do you simply concentrate on your race? I think it depends what day you're having. If things aren't going good, then you start your, your focus starts to shift, which is never a good thing. So hopefully I can get in there and get in a good mind space from the get-go and um, just focus on my own game. And Especially in a tight arena like this, if you're not 100% zoned into your own your own race and getting down the front straight and getting out of that turn in front, you know, you're going to get tangled up because it's split second and you're off the back. Just looking at the course, what are your sort of overall thoughts on it? I like it. I mean, for the size arena that it is, there's not much more you could have done with it. And, you know, if we had it outdoors here, we'd be in, in a mud pit. So <laughs> um, I would much rather be in a tight arena that's going to be jam-packed with people and loud and people screaming and a good atmosphere than be out in the mud. So um, I think it's going to be great, and I'm really excited to get in there and try to defend my world title. It's going to be fast corners one and two, probably the, um, the big points of interest for Crash Fanatics. Definitely. Turn one's going to be crazy, um, just because we're at, we do normally have a longer first straight, and so it is gonna, it's going to be hard to get away from the field, so everyone's going to go in there pretty even, and eight guys don't fit in that turn, so um, there's going to be a bit of action there. Hopefully I can avoid it. Um, it is small, but, I mean, we've raced small tracks before. It's not... <laughs> you know, like I said, every, no matter what you guys built here, they were gonna, everyone's going to complain. You know, it's just, it's just how it is in sport. You know, people want you know, the, the ones talking are probably the ones that are worried right now. <laughs> That's BMX World Champion Sam Willoughby talking to Richard Wayne. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. There'll be just one New Zealand team left in the Super Rugby competition come the final whistle and Saturday night semi-final between the Chiefs and the Crusaders in Hamilton. The Chiefs are the defending champions, the New Zealand Conference winners, and they have hometown advantage. Despite all that, however, they're the underdogs. A year ago, the Chiefs hooker, Hicker Elliott, got to lead the side in a celebratory haka as the Chiefs enjoyed their first Super Rugby title win. Their best effort previously had been runners-up in 2009. But there are doubts as to whether they'll get the chance to defend their title given their recent form. A few weeks ago they were trounced 43-15 to 15 by the Crusaders in Christchurch and Elliot's aware they're being written off. We understand um, the talk that's outside our circle but um, I also understand the, the, the work that's going on within our circle and the character of this team and um, you know, the, the kind of culture that we've built over the last couple of seasons and I'm fully aware of, of, of all that talk but I under, I, I'm hugely um, proud of the way the team seems um, bouncing back from there and I, I think we're really, really... While the Chiefs have been out of sorts in recent weeks, the Crusaders have shown their five-year title drought could be about to come to an end, perhaps just in time for coach Todd Blackadder's future. The Crusaders are the most successful franchise in Super Rugby history, having won the title seven times since the competition began in 1996. Blackadder took over the side in 2009 when Robbie Deans departed for Australia, but he's been unable to replicate Deans' success. The best the Crusaders have done under Blackadder's reign is runners-up in 2011. Their away form this season hasn't been good, 
winning just three games outside of Christchurch. But Blackadder says all of that's in the past. We haven't probably risen to the challenge at times. I think that was probably earlier on in our season when we weren't playing particularly well. I don't think that's really going to be in our mindset this week. This is just purely a one-off and it's a little bit like the past. I mean, we went up there in a similar situation last year and came a really badly second, you know. So, But that was last year and this is a whole new team with a new focus, with new goals and you know, we've got a bit of momentum and there's a lot more pride in this team. Despite being able to call on All Blacks captain Richie McCaw, Blackadder's opted to keep him in the reserves, saying to include him in the starting lineup would be unfair as he's only recently returned to the game. Mentally cut off, you know, there's no doubt about that, but you know, I, I just think too that maybe his form might not be where it needs to be in these really high intense games and that would be putting him under a lot of pressure, but that could possibly be the winning and losing of the game, you know, the guys that come off the bench and can do the job under pressure, so hopefully um, they can make a big impact this weekend. The Chiefs lose forward Tony Rowe Latimer maintains tomorrow night's semi-final is not about payback in the wake of that 43-15 loss a few weeks back. But it's obvious there's still a sense of embarrassment about that performance. We know where, where the shortfall was. We got taught a lesson, to be honest. So, uh, I, I can tell you now that it'll be a lot different uh, this Saturday. The other semi-final this weekend features the Australian side, the ACT Brumbies, against the South African side, the Bulls, in Pretoria. That's on Sunday morning. Should the Chiefs win tomorrow, the final will be played in Hamilton just like last year. But if the Crusaders win, they'll head to either Pretoria or Canberra in a bid to end their five-year Super Rugby title drought. So with the Crusaders' favourites for Saturday night's semi-final, Alex Coogan-Reeves asked the former All Black and Chiefs player Matthew Cooper if the defending champions are being unfairly overlooked by the rugby public. Sometimes media and other parts of the country probably have, the memories seem to, to sometimes be challenged a little bit because if you look at how they have played, whilst they were disappointing by their own standards in Christchurch, when you look at how this team's performed year two, backing up from being the champion, that they won the minor premiership. They were very consistent right up until the game down in Christchurch. They've probably been operating at about 90%, 95% for a lot of those games, but they have an ability to win the hard games, and they've done that all year. So you don't win a minor premiership without being a good side. I think sometimes that they have been a side that everyone seems to be waiting sometimes for the cheeks to fall over but they continually play with an attitude and a resolve and, and with talent to, to get the results. And I don't think the Chiefs are too phased about what people think. They're more worried about their performance and how they're going to play. And um, they'll be looking forward to that. And they are playing a team that, that is really uh, in, in real red-hot form at the moment. They're also a side, too, the Crusaders, that uh, two weeks ago they look beatable against the Hurricanes. So they're a team that hasn't been totally consistent right through, although in the last two or three weeks they've shown some pretty good form. It seems like a really good sort of culture that's developing in the Chiefs there. Players all seem pretty focused and like um, ready to play for each other. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's a, it's a great... Um, you only have to look at where the Chiefs have come in the last 24 months. I mean, they're a side that's always promised well, promised a lot, but they've never really delivered at the back end. 
what they've done and achieved in the last 24 months has been phenomenal. Um, they are a good bunch of guys. There is no issues with the Chiefs. They play an attractive brand of rugby. They've recruited very well. They've recruited players you didn't really think or know too much about who've turned into very good players like Andrew Horrell, uh, Bundy Aki. Uh, when Benny Tamifuna comes on the field, the leadership of Craig Clark, Clark and Liam Messon, probably not sometimes the most fashionable rugby players, but collectively as a unit, both when they're on the field, but also as pretty decent blokes off the field, it's quite a formidable combination. So and you've also got a team that's hurting. They're, they're not happy about what happened in Christchurch. What they came up against was a pretty fired up Crusaders side two or three weeks ago, and they were off the pace. They were a side that what was off the pace in terms of its attitude towards defence. They were passive in defence. Uh, the defensive line didn't come up and create, uh, uh, shut off the space. And you can't afford to do that with Israel Dag or uh, you know other players like that. You just can't afford to give them room. So I think they would have learned a hell of a lot. So while the TAB and others might create a lot of favouritism for the Crusaders, and yes, the performance the last couple of weeks have been pretty good, but I think you've also got to analyse who they were playing the other day, and I don't think that was the best Reds performance. It's a bit of a cliche, obviously, having having a loss at a right time, but you you could argue that that Crusaders loss, you know, rather have it back then than on Saturday. It's almost created a perfect storm, hasn't it, for Waikato Stadium at 7.30 Saturday night, because there is also a team here that doesn't want to let go of the Super Rugby Trophy, so... Um, and they're having to to leave Christchurch, and they're having to come to what will what will was and the other day was a wasn't a sold out venue. Well, I'll get one here on Saturday night. All that said about the Chiefs, it's still pretty hard to look past the Crusaders' form at the moment, and you can almost understand why why they are so highly rated. Oh, that's fair, but I think you've also got to say that I don't know if totally the respect's been shown has been balanced in terms of some of the uh, some of the statements that's been made. So. I think that you're right, they're playing very well, um, but you've also got to make sure you analyse um, how one played against them two or three weeks ago. You've got to analyse that um, you know, when they played against the Hurricanes, they are off the pace, and also you've got to analyse what the opposition was like, what the opposition was like last week, and I thought that was a pretty average red side. From watching the Crusaders, do you see any sort of weaknesses where you, where you could see the Chiefs attacking them, or are they pretty strong throughout? Oh, they're a team that wants to dominate you up front. So the first and foremost, like anything in rugby, they have to try and disrupt a, a pretty good set piece. That's easier said than done. Um, their set piece has gone very well. But the, the Chiefs have historically competed well in the last two years against their scrum. And also they've maintained their own ownership you know, in terms of line-out position. So the Chiefs, once they get there, if they can win their own line-out ball, they're in the, they're in the contest. I think they're a team that you have to... Um, you have to. You cannot be passive on defence against the Crusaders, and what I meant by that, it was so evident in Christchurch when they allowed the Crusaders to actually construct back moves, and they also allowed Israel Dag to actually come into some really good form by giving him far too much room. You can't give those backs any room, and uh, I think one thing I would say about the Crusaders, I think Ryan Crotty's playing the best rugby I've ever seen him play. And that guy, that guy is not close to being an all-back. I'd love to see who is because he's very special at the moment as a centre and Israel Dagg is playing well. So to me, it's around putting pressure back on the Crusaders. You've got to be physical. You have to intimidate them. You have to get right in their face and not give them any room. And also, you've got to stop them from getting a roll on. They're a team that collects points early on with Dan Carter, who, again, is playing pretty, 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 pretty good rugby at the moment. So... 
you've got to you've got to enable them not to get a roll on. When they get a roll on, they get momentum. They're hard to stop. If the game starts in front of twenty five thousand chief supporters and they don't get that roll on, it's going to get harder and harder. Just on Carter and Cruden, how much influence will the performance of those two have on which way the game goes? You think? Oh, that, that'll be huge. I mean, Carter's just been world class. He is the world premier five eight, and on the other side, the number two world premier five out eight. So it's one player and two in the world. I think we're very fortunate at the moment, and we've got Bowden Barrett looking at the heels as well. So we're extremely fortunate at the moment. They'll, they will be critical. Carter is the ultimate calm professional that loves this occasion and he's he got the look about him at the moment that he's right back to his best and he's, he's playing very well Cruden he hasn't been as consistent as he would like to be but Cruden's now an old head on young shoulders and he's growing up rapidly and he's turning into a footballer that is a very proud footballer uh, is a very determined footballer and is a person who is in charge and he does lead the Chiefs now and so you've got a dominating person who was happy to lead the Chiefs. So an outstanding battle there. A huge game, I think, for uh, Kerbalo. He's been probably a little bit disruptive in terms of the quality of ball he's been getting, but he's been getting caught a couple of times. So he needs a big game because the other guy is, again, playing great rugby and Andrew Ellis. So you've got... Um, you're pretty pivotal there. and That's where it'll be about the pressure. So the Crusaders will... Um, uh, it's how they handle, at the moment, they arrive handling a very strong, hot favouritism tag. That goes all right for you when you play sometimes at home, but the challenge for that hot favouritism is how do you handle that in hostile country? And obviously you're going to be a bit biased here on picking, but can I get a prediction out of you? I, I, I don't predict, but I think the Chiefs um, are probably storing up something very special on Saturday night because, quite frankly, everyone is picking the Crusaders. All I would say is that that happened last year in the semi-final. Uh, that happened uh, when they played them in Napier around Robin last year. That happened um, That happened about eight or nine weeks ago when they came here again, and the result went to went to the Chiefs. So from my point of view of probably living here, I'd say that this will be very, very close, and I think that um, I, I just wouldn't be surprised if the home team comes out just the heat. That's former All Black and Chiefs player Matthew Cooper talking to Alex Coogan-Reeves. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The Olympic champion Mahi Drysdale has been added to New Zealand's rowing team for the World Champs after completing a time trial following almost a year out of the sport. The 34-year-old Drysdale took a break from rowing after he won gold at the London Olympics last year and only returned to the single skull last month when he was beaten in the Netherlands and at the Henley Regatta in England. Selectors kept the single skull spot open and Drysdale needed to complete the time trial to win the place in the team for next month's event in South Korea. We had a, a headwind, it was a, it was a slow time, but what we do is compare those times to all the other crews and turn them into percentage and then you get a very good um, gauge as to, to where you sit. So when you look at the times, it, it puts me right in the mix of hopefully the A final and if I can pull something out a bit special there, then maybe even a medal, which is um, you know definitely uh, right where, where I want to be and obviously uh, the selectors have decided that they see the potential that in four weeks' time I, I can be competitive in, in Korea. So is a medal the target or title I mean are you going to be fit enough and strong enough to be a, a title contender uh, I don't think so um, you know realistically the gold medals really beyond me um, 
I think uh, if if I could if I could get in the medals, um, I'd be absolutely uh, ecstatic with the the progress I'd made. Um, and you know, if if I can be in that that A final, you know, com- competing um, and and you know in the race, that's that's really uh, probably the the realistic goal at this stage. How would you rate yourself as to where you were at when you won in London? I'm probably uh, probably three percent um, off what I was what I was doing in London, and uh, you know that that might not sound like that much, but um, you know that's that's quite a quite a big big ask, and um, you know three percent is is basically at the moment I'd, I'd be struggling to um, make the A final, you know, but but I know that in in another four weeks' time. Um, you know, I, I should hopefully uh, be able to do that, and um, you know, it's just just not quite sure how how much I'm going to improve, how quickly. So, um, you know, I think the selectors have selected me because they're confident I can make that A final, uh, and then we'll just see where we go from there. So, where are you back training wise? I mean, you've you've had a, a bit of time in, in Europe, but I mean, you've been back on the water now for for how long? Um, I've I've had about five weeks uh, full time in the boat. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, you know it's it's really um, I guess for for that period of time I'm pretty happy with where I am. I've got another four weeks going into Korea, so hopefully if I can make uh, the same sort of gains that I have in this period, then um, you know I'm, I'm very confident that I'll be uh, at least competitive in in Korea. Have you changed your training routine? I mean, last year because of your back problems, you you changed things around a bit you were you're doing less time on the water has that carried over this year or are you changing things again are you storing a lot of time on the bike fairly much following the program that i followed um over the, the past two and a half years so uh you know it's a, a program that's that's worked um fairly well for me um picking up a, a world and olympic title so you know i think we're, we're not going to change too much but um you know in in the group of of athletes i'm in uh, under dick tonks um we've got the the women's double and the the lightweight women's double who are you know very similar speed to me so so they've been great training partners and certainly um, brought me along a lot faster um having that that day-to-day competition on the on the water that that rejigging that's gone on with dick tonks now taking those women's crews has that sort of had a, a benefit for you is that what you're sort of saying yeah, well, it, it certainly has because um, you know, obviously, the uh, Emma Emma Twig and, and the men's pair as as training partners uh, for me, they're very different speeds to me. So so they they weren't exactly uh, you know they they weren't beneficial on a on a daily basis. Um, but you know, the the women's doubles and the um, you know are, are very very similar um, speeds and and in training, you know, we we can battle it out. Um, you know, for for an hour and a half, and uh, you know that that certainly brings us all up. Um, you know, having that competition on a daily basis, it must be a bit more, um, I suppose, just enjoyable too. Possibly, just even having some company that's around a bit more. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, you're you're not alone as much. Um, you know, because because when when we had the the squad last year, we we still you know we still competed on a daily basis, but. You know, you've you've got a crew starting a K behind you and and trying to stay in front of um, them, rather than sort of every single stroke having a crew next to you. Um, you know, going stroke for stroke. So, yeah, it is it is nice to to have that company. Um, you know, because you're all alone in a single, which uh, can get a bit lonely. And backs backs all good, is it? No no injury problems. 
Yeah, no, it's been great actually. Um, obviously, the break helped it a lot. Um, when I came back to rowing, it was feeling absolutely fantastic. Had a had a couple of weeks where it was you know a bit niggly. Um, I think just adjusting to the training, but uh, touch wood, it's it's back. Um, you're back feeling good now. And Rio's on the horizon. Yeah, for sure. That's that's obviously the goal. And um, you know, taking this break was was uh, to pr- to make sure that I was uh, you know as good as I could be in Rio. Um, which obviously was going to have some sacrifice, and and you know this year um, in Korea that's probably where we're going to see the sacrifice. Um, you know I, I don't think uh, realistically I can can challenge for that gold medal, but um, you know this is a, a long term plan, and and by next year I'm I'm pretty confident I can be back in the you know top of the podium, and and uh, you know that will that will lead into hopefully uh, doing it again in Rio. I was talking to Olympic rowing champion Mahi Drysdale. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. If you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.